But Exodus chapter number 34 this morning. Exodus 34. If you look at verse number one. The Lord said unto Moses, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first. And I will write upon these tables the words that were in the first tables. Which thou, boy, how many glad he's willing to do something again? <laughs> boy, it's just a hopping off the page this morning. He said, be ready in the morning and come up in the morning and unto Mount Sinai and present thyself there to me in the top of the mound. In essence, it's the equivalent of me walking to you saying, hey, I need to speak to you in my office. <laughs> could be good, could be bad. You'll find out when you get in there. And no man shall come up with thee, neither let any man be seen throughout all the mount, neither let the flocks nor herds feed before that mount. And he, and he hewed two uh, tables of stone like unto the first. And Moses rose up early in the morning and went up out of Mount Sinai, or unto Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand the two tables of stone. Sometimes we miss the Lord because we don't rise up early. I'm not talking about the hour of the day. I'm talking about in the, 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 the time of our day. We give everything to everybody else. We get home, we say, all right, Lord, it's your turn. Oh, we ought to go to him first whenever our day starts. And give it to him. Now, look at verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood, him, stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. You ever find somebody that says there ain't no grace in the Old Testament Show them this chapter, close your Bible, and slap them across the head and say, it's right there. <laughs> if they get mad at you, tell them you're from a different church. <laughs> My preacher said I could do that. Just don't tell them who your preacher is. Look at verse number seven. Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth in worship. Let's pray to Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you again for this morning. Lord, I sure am glad that, Lord, I have a church home to go and to worship to. Lord, I leave my family's home just to get in the car to come to my church family's home. Well, what a blessing it is, God, to meet together, Lord, to fellowship, Lord, to cut up, and, Lord, to have a good time together. But, Lord, what a blessing it is, Lord, to gather together for a sole reason, sole purpose, Lord, to glorify your name, to lift you up, to give you the honor and the glory that is due unto your name. Oh, Father, help us this morning, God, to glean from the word of God, from your very words, what is most needed in our life this morning. And, Lord, help us to take a truth this morning that won't just change us today, but God, will impact us for the rest of our life. And, God, will rejoice over it in all of eternity. We ask you, Lord, this morning, God, that you just speak to our hearts through your word. I pray, Lord, this morning there's someone here that doesn't know you. God, they, they sat in the song service and it sounds good, but it ain't personal to them. Oh, Father, would you save them by your grace this morning? Change their life and their eternity. Lord, we love and we thank you for all that you've done. But, Lord, we love you for who you are. We'll give you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. I want to ask you a question. How do you describe yourself? Now, if we were to ask that and I were to give everybody an opportunity this morning, how do you describe yourself? 
we would probably list out some characteristics about us, some qualities about us, maybe some past experiences, some work history, our occupation, all those kind of things. But, but sometimes what, what you think about yourself and what somebody else thinks about you are two completely different things. Now, sometimes they do line up, right, and it gives you that confirmation. It, it gives you that, 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 that answer you're looking for when, when somebody agrees. Well, yes, I see that quality in you. Yes, I see that characteristic in you. And you say, well, maybe then I, I really am that if somebody else is seeing that. But sometimes it doesn't line up. Sometimes what you think about yourself and what somebody else thinks about you is different. Now, sometimes it is a good thing. Right, you think about yourself, I, I'm just scared, I'm just this, I'm just that. And Well, somebody says, oh no, you're brave. I've I seen what you did. I've I seen how you take care of that situation. I've seen how you help so-and-so. You are compassionate. You're not, you're not a robot. You're not a zombie. You say, well, I, I didn't realize that. And sometimes it's a good thing. Sometimes it can be a not-so-good thing. When what somebody else has observed in your life and how somebody else describes you is not how you describe yourself, but then they have evidence behind it. And then you gotta come to that realization that I may not be all that I think that I am. I may not be who I, I thought I was. And now sometimes people see you differently and sometimes people describe you differently because they simply had a, a bad experience, right? They caught you on a bad day. They caught you at the wrong time. They caught you when you were busy. They caught you this and they, uh, you just had a lot going on and you responded in a way that you, want, you don't normally respond. And so now they think, well, he's just nothing but a stuck up. He's just rude. He's just all these different things. <laughs> I remember there was a lady that used to go to church or she since went home to be with the Lord. And for the longest, she thought I was stuck up because I never talked to her. I, I never made, I went out of my way to speak to her. And she thought, I, I thought you were stuck up for the longest. And I just found out you're quiet. <laughs> That's just who you are. She said, and I found that out because you were willing to help and do whatever needed to be done. And she thought, but a lot of times when people get a, sometimes when people get a, a bad description of us, it's because they caught us at the bad time or at a wrong time. And they don't see, the, they see our less likable characteristics. And it just puts a bad taste in their mouth. Some of you here this morning might love Burger King on Peach Orchard Road. I'm not trying to ruin their business this morning. But I've been there, I've tried it, and I didn't like it, and I've even said, you know what, I'm going to give them a second chance. I'm going to go there, and they're going to have everything like I, I want it, and it's going to be wonderful just to be down again and again and again. You'll say, well, preacher, I go there, and everything's great. Well, call me next time. Because <laughs> every time I've gone, it hasn't been the home of the original Whopper. <laughs> Can't even have it my way. They said they were out of that. False advertisement. Got a lawsuit. No, I'm just kidding. But sometimes how people describe us and how we describe ourselves differ. And to be honest with you this morning, if you were to ask random people what they think about God and who they think God is, you'll get a hundred different questions, a hundred different answers this morning. See, because some who don't know him, would say, oh, that God of the Bible, he's just full of wrath and judgment. He's just waiting to send somebody off to hell. He's just waiting to drop the iron fist on them 
and crush them like they're nothing. Some would say, well, he's nothing more than just an impersonal, unpersonal, uncompassionate spirit in the sky. He controls things, but he doesn't really care about people. Some would even say this, he's not real. There's no such thing or person as God. Now, the Bible says, the fool has said in his heart that there's no such thing as God. And we are here this morning, we're believers, and we'd say, all that's wrong. But you've got to realize that there is a world out there full of people, and they are trying to negotiate, and they're trying to understand, and there's something in them that are saying, hey, there's someone or something else out there that is greater than yourself, and they go from here, and they go there, and they go there, and they hear opinion after opinion after opinion of people who don't know God try to describe God, and it leaves them even more confused. So preacher, how can we know who God really is? Just let him tell you. And here's the, the, the wonderful thing about this this morning. The Bible tells us that God can not lie. He will not lie. He doesn't lie. And so if he steps back and he describes himself to us this morning, we know he's telling the truth. And we'll see here this morning in Exodus chapter number 34, God does exactly that. He, he comes down to where, or he comes down, <laughs> Moses had to go up, God had to go down to get to the top of the mountain. Let that make sense to you. But anyways, the Bible tells in, 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 in chapter number 33, Moses has, has asked God to see his glory. God, let me see you in a way, in, in, a, in, a, in a form, in a, in a sense that I've yet to see you. Yes, Lord, I walked to the Red Sea. And yes, Lord, I've tasted of the manna. And yes, Lord, I've seen the water come out of the rock. And yes, Lord, I've seen the serpent raised up and those that were sick healed. Lord, I've seen all that, but Lord, let me see you for who you are. The Bible says that we know that he puts them in the cleft of the, wall, the, the rock and he goes by them and he, and, he, and he allows Moses to see the hinder parts as the glory passes by. But then you come to verse, chapter number 34, and God has called the meeting. And he said, yes, Moses, I'm going to give you the law again. He said, before you go back down the mountain, I would just like to tell you who I really am, what my heart really is, what my desires really are. So if you don't know who he really is, just listen to him describe himself this morning. Believe every person can understand who God really is by listening to how he describes himself in Exodus 34 this morning. Look at verse number six. And all this will be pulled out of this single verse this morning and we'll see here this morning as God describes himself. He said, and the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, well, why did God repeat that? Why did God say it twice? Because me and you sometimes have to hear something again before we actually catch it. But here he is describing and proclaiming that he isn't just some other God. He isn't comparable to the gods of the Hittites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and the Gershites and all those other ites you read about in the book of Exodus. But he is the very true and living God. And Moses said here, or excuse me, God said, Moses here is, I, I am the true and living God. And here's who I really am. Here's my heart. 
here's my desires. Here is when you, if you were in essence to look at the Lord God in the dictionary, here's how you can describe him. Number one, he is merciful and gracious. Look at verse number six. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious. And years ago, the question was posed to me and my wife, and here's the question, and I think I've shared this before. Somebody asked us, if you had to choose between mercy and grace, which one would you choose? Well, mercy is not getting what you deserve. You and I ought to be in hell this morning because of our sin and because of the fact we have transgressed a holy God. But because of mercy, we're not there this morning. Or would you choose grace, getting what you don't deserve? I've got my sanity this morning. I've got peace. I've got joy. The choir sings. Something springs up inside of me and says, I identify with that. I've experienced that. I, I know what that is. And the fact that I know what it's like to have joy and to know what it's like for God to take care of me and to supply my needs and to protect me and provide. The reason why I know that this morning is because of grace. I don't deserve any of that. And they asked us, if you, if you had to pick one of those, which one would you pick? Now, it may be an interesting rabbit hole to run down and study and try to figure out. But I'm glad this morning when we read our Bible, God doesn't separate the two of them. Now, they are two separate things. Mercy is not grace and grace is not mercy. But here's the thing this morning. They go hand in hand. In essence, this morning, if you are born again by the grace of God, you have not just experienced mercy, but you've experienced mercy and grace. And you have not just experienced grace, but you've experienced grace and mercy. This morning, you cannot be a Christian and, and be, be void of one and only have the other. You have both of them this morning. And here God says, I am gracious and I'm merciful. And I'm thankful this morning that God never separates his grace and his mercy. I think just like you, I think they go great together because they sure have changed my life. They've made a great, great, great change since I've been born again. But notice this, my, why, is, why, is, why does God step back and say, Moses, you should already know this. You've already experienced this. You've seen it firsthand. But I just want to remind you, I am merciful and I am gracious. Why? Because me and you have a constant need of mercy. What do you mean by that, preacher? You'll never outgrow your need of God's mercy in this life. <laughs> then when we get to heaven, we'll rejoice for all of eternity because he is merciful. But we realize this morning that you and I will never outgrow. There'll never be a stage in the Christian life where you can look at mercy and say, no thanks, I'm good, I don't need it. Everything is a-okay because you have to realize this morning, we understand that God is full of mercy. It says it in that, that way in the book of Psalms that God is full of mercy to the brim. There's, there's no other space for anything else and at the same time, the same God who's full of mercy is also full of truth, is full of grace, is full of all, everything else that he is. How does God do that? He's God. But we see this morning, preacher, why? Why are we in such need of mercy? Because you realize if God for one second 
pulls back his mercy from us and leaves us to ourselves. every single one of us would be hopeless. We'd be helpless. There would be nothing that we could do to fix it. Put it this way, if he pulled it back for one second, you and I wouldn't last the full second before the judgment and wrath of God came down on us. But I'm glad this morning he's merciful. He's full of mercy. He's full of mercy. He's never going to run out. What happened if God ran out? He won't. But if he did, you and I would run out of hope. God said, Moses, I'm merciful. I'm full of mercy. I'm full of compassion. And I'm glad this morning we don't have to live off of yesterday's mercy. <laughs> Lamentation says it this way. It is of the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every good night this morning. Do you realize when he said that my compassions fail not, the mercy that got you through yesterday is not expired. It is no longer, it's not void. It is no longer uh, uh, needed. But he said, I had mercy for yesterday, but I'll still be merciful to you today. He said, my constant need of mercy. He said, Moses, I'm merciful. Then he told Moses, I'm gracious. I'm gracious, Moses. My constant need of grace. Sometimes when we preach and sometimes when we teach, I think sometimes we, we with the desire to do right, with the desire to, to, to be excited, that we sometimes we, we, we preach grace I'm not talking about uh, lasciviousness. I'm not talking about grace living. You don't have to do anything. Don't worry about nothing. No, no holiness, anything like that. But I'm talking about sometimes we take grace and we, we turn it into something that it's not. Well, what do you mean by that, preacher? When you got saved, you got saved by grace. Let me ask you to, God, take grace and write it down on a piece of paper and drop it in your lap and say, all right, you hold on to that. You just use it whenever you need it. <laughs> I got saved by grace, but you have to realize this morning, he didn't tell Moses, I am merciful and I have grace. Now, the Lord does have grace. We understand that this morning. But he told Moses, not only am I merciful, but I and of myself am grace. I'm gracious. I have and I am the grace of that you will need to live and to be saved. You got saved by grace, but he didn't necessarily give you grace like it's some object that you hold on to and you, 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 you just hold on to it and it helps out and that's all you do. No, he said, I am grace. When you got saved, you got the Lord living on the inside. The Holy Ghost now dwells inside of you and he said, I am gracious. Can I say this morning, the fact that he dwells inside of us and he himself is grace we know that we can be saved by grace. We know that he, we are sanctified by grace. We know we are supplied by grace. In essence, when, what does that mean, preacher? That doesn't mean you go and you open up your drawer and you pull out grace and you say, all right, grace, I need you today because it's not an object. You go to the Lord and you say, Lord, I need you because you are grace. Lord, I need you to help me grow. Lord, I need you to supply my needs. Lord, I need you to help me. I, Lord, I need you to strengthen me. Lord, save me. It's all by grace this morning. <laughs> in essence, this morning, God doesn't sit up in heaven and shoot mercy and grace from his fingertips. You know, you need some grace? You need some mercy, as Shiloh would say. Do you, do you need some more grace? Do you need some more mercy? 
It don't work that way. I don't know why that sound comes with that. <laughs> Preacher, what do I do if I need more grace? Go to him. <laughs> Preacher, I need some mercy. He ain't going to shoot out his finger, but he'll show up. <laughs> oh, grace and mercy aren't objects. They are God himself. Let me ask you this morning. Would you rather have the gift or the gift giver? What do you mean by that, preacher? Some of y'all have had some precious loved ones pass on. And you've got some gifts that they've left behind. You treasure those gifts. You are grateful for them. But if I were to come to you and say, hey, listen, all you got to do is give me that gift. And I'll bring back the one who gave you the gift. I don't think any of us would say, I'm going to hold on to the gift. I don't want to see them again. I don't want to hear their voice one more time. I don't want to embrace them one more time. No, we'd all say, I want the gift giver. And I'm glad this morning, when I need more grace, I don't have to go find it in a, in a, in a, in a box somewhere. I don't have to go find it in a drawer somewhere. I can appeal to the one who is grace. When I need mercy, I can go to the one who is merciful and full of mercy. Let me ask you this morning, have you experienced the true mercy and grace of God this morning? Who is God? He's merciful and he's gracious. Number two, who is God? He's long-suffering. Look at verse number six. The Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious. You notice how you read it there, that's, those are put together. There's a comma. We are now in a series. The next part of the series, long-suffering. God said, not only am I merciful and gracious, Moses, I'm long-suffering. Now, it's not recorded in your Bible, but I think if Moses stepped back and thought about what God had just said and thought about where God had brought them from, he'd shake his head, yes. Yes, Lord, you are. You are very long-suffering. You're very patient. You are very slow to anger. That children's church definition, I still love it. Wednesday in the Word definition, what does long-suffering mean? It means to suffer long. Willing to be patient, slow to anger. And I think definitely Moses could identify with that. Because in reality, in a perfect world, an unfallen world, Exodus would have been a whole lot different. I don't think God's people would have even been in Egypt. But we understand that they're in Egypt. God hears their cry by reason of their taskmaster. God divinely and sovereignly comes into that nation and those people and leads them out through the Red Sea. And here's how, here's how Exodus should have ran. God brings them out of the Red Sea. They go straight in the promised land. No problems. <laughs> You'd have to cut out half of Exodus. Because we know that God brings them through the Red Sea. That magnificent, miracle, miraculous act that God does. And they're just on the other side of it. Here comes complaining. Would to God we had died in Israel or in Egypt. I'd rather eat onions and leeks and water than manna from heaven. <laughs> what we understand this morning is that God is long-suffering. Complaints from the nation of Israel. Disobedience from the man of God. Speak to the rock. Water comes out. And uh, listen, I don't fault Moses necessarily because when you got a whole bunch of people ready to take you out, you can come desperate. And so instead of listening to God, what does Moses do? He 
smites the rock again instead of speaking to it. Disobedience from the man of God. Idolatry from God's people. Why, are, why is there a chapter 34? Because in the previous chapter, the first law, the first commandments that came down were broken. Why? There was idolatry, idolatrous worship going on in the camp of Israel. They're worshiping the golden calf. They're worshiping a false god. There's fear. They go and spy out the promised land. The spies come back, all but two of them. Said there's giants in the land. We can't go there. They'll destroy us. So they will take us out. And, and a lot of times I, I, I look at these people and I'd say, I'd never, I'd never think. I mean, he brought us through a sea on dry ground. What else can he not do? But can I say sometimes about he saved me by grace for all eternity. And I worry about some of the smallest things. I let fear run my life. Idolatry and a whole list of discouraging terms and things that we could talk about after the Red Sea. Yet, how does Exodus end? Well, chapter number 35, they begin to build something called the tabernacle. Here is a group of people who have complained. They've been discouraged. They've lived in fear. They've worshipped idols. They have uh, done all of that this morning. Everything and anything that me and you've probably done, that's what they did there in the book of Exodus. And yet God says, you know what? I want y'all to build a tabernacle because my heart's desire is to meet with you. We understand what the tabernacle was. It was a place where man could come to God and God would come to man through sacrifice. We understand that this morning. But why, preacher? Why would God take this group of people who were not perfect examples, who didn't have it all together, and say, you know what? I want to meet with you. I want you to see my presence in the camp. I want you to see my glory. Feel the most holy of holies. Why would God do that? Because he's long-suffering. He's long-suffering. Because if God wasn't, the first time they complained, God would have opened up the earth and said, I'm done with you. When they worshiped the false idols, I understand there were some repercussions. That those of a certain age were not allowed to go into the promised land. But yet they were still God's people. <laughs> God was long-suffering with them just like he is with us. Now, God's long-suffering is not an excuse. It's not for me to say, you know what? I ain't worried about a preacher. God's long-suffering. I'll get there when I get there. I'll pursue him when I want to pursue him. He's long-suffering. Everything's going to be okay. But rather, it ought to produce gratefulness in our life. I can't believe he was willing to wait for me. I can't believe that he, he, he was patient with me. I don't, know how, I, don't know your, I don't know everybody's testimony verbatim in here this morning, but I know mine, and I can't tell you how many times I heard the gospel, I heard the truth preached and taught, and I listened, and I turned it away. Well, I sure am glad that he's patient and long-suffering with us this morning. But not just in myself, even as a child, I'm glad that he's long-suffering with you. I'm glad that you are not what you used to be, but to be honest, you are not where you should be. Preacher, why am I still breathing? Because God's long-suffering. God is patient with you. Here's, here's the ironic thing. We want God to do something in our life. 
We want God to work in a way and do, do something great in our life. And we get upset when it's not done on our timetable. Lord, don't you know? Lord, have you, have you considered? Lord, didn't you think that now would be a great time to do it? And when he doesn't do it on our timetable, we get impatient with him. I wonder how many times God has asked us to do something. And we said, no. Not now. Not today. And yet he's long-suffering with us. He's patient with us. We've been talking about investing uh, at, our, at our house here lately on how to do it and the right way to do it and the safe way to do it. The, the way that makes sense, not just for us, but to teach that to our kids. And, and, and I, I was, I, I was <laughs> learning from a trusted source called YouTube. And I was listening to this man speak and talk and he said that most people have this idea that investing is you finding something for very cheap and miraculously it exploding overnight and all of a sudden you're a millionaire. He said that's not how real investing works. He said that's the anomaly. It hardly ever actually happens. He said real investors take, take what they have and, and slowly and smartly invest it here, invest it there, and it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows over time to where it, it needs to be. He said, here's, here's why most investors fail. He said, they're not patient. They're not patient. They're not willing to wait to get a return on their investment. Well, I'm glad this morning that God is willing to wait on his investment. Glad he's long-suffering this morning. How do you know that, preacher? 2,000 years ago, his son died on the cross at Calvary. And he waited until 2015 to save my soul. He was willing to wait. He was willing to be long-suffering for me. So we get a full return. Do you realize this morning when Christ is willing to wait till that last sinner gets saved by the grace of God? He'll say, that's, that's my return on my investment. I wonder if the Lord has been long-suffering with you just so you'll know how much he really wants you and how much he really loves you. Who is the Lord? He's merciful and gracious. Who is the Lord? He's long-suffering. Notice number three this morning. Who is the Lord? He's abundant in goodness and truth. Right there at the end of verse number six. It says that in abundant in goodness and truth. <laughs> Got some real, real uh, high-tech points for you today, don't I? Pull them right out of the scriptures. Not alliterated and not in alphabetical order, but they work. Notice to understand this last portion of goodness and truth, we have to look at that word Abundant. What does that word abundant mean? It means much, it means great, it means abounding, it means more than enough. But I studied out and found out it also means captain or chief. It means the, the top, there's nothing above it, there's nothing greater than it is. It is the, 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 the captain and the chief. So not only does God have more than enough goodness and truth, but his goodness and truth is the greatest. See, this world will offer you goodness. This world will offer you truth, their truth, their goodness. So how do you know that, preacher? How do you know that, that, that the world will do Here's the thing, you got to realize it's their truth, so it's misleading, it's misguided. That's why when Pilate stood before Christ and the subject of truth came up, what did Pilate say? What is truth? Pilate said, I've heard a lot of people say a lot of things and do a lot of things and, and proclaim a lot of things. Pilate said, and Here's where it's left me. 
This world's truth left me with a question I cannot answer. What is truth? And all that he had and learned and lived by didn't match up with who was standing in front of him. That day, that was the very epitome. That was truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we realize this morning, not only is he abundant, but it, he is the greatest and, and the world's truth will leave you confused and uncertain and, and not know how to uh, go forward and not know how to progress or grow or any of that kind of thing. But what, here's what we realize this morning, he's got more than enough goodness. He's got more than enough goodness. Every, how do you know that, preacher? I don't know how many times we've had a, testify, a testimony part of our service where people just brag on the Lord. But here's how they, nine out of ten times they start. I want to thank the Lord for my salvation. But I also want to thank him because he took care of this. Or he did this. Or he showed me this in his word. Here's what you're saying. Boy, he was really good when he saved me. But then I found out he's got more goodness. He's got more goodness than I even realized and, and knew about. You're saying that he has more than enough goodness. And boy, can I say that I know he's got more than enough goodness. He's got more than enough truth this morning. You ever watch a television series or read a book series and you got down to that last episode, that last chapter, and boy, you've been in it. You've, it's enthralled you. You can't go to bed tonight, at night because you're wondering who shot Jr. Y'all didn't think I knew about that, did you? Oh, Dallas. <laughs> Never seen an episode. I just knew that was from there. <laughs> but you get so into it and you're, you can't wait. And then the season's over. The series is done. And you think, what am I going to do with my life now? <laughs> you want more, but there ain't no more. The author's done. The show's been canceled. There ain't nothing left. So all you can do is go back and watch reruns. Like Andy Griffith, Gunsmoke, Bonanza, anything else that comes on MeTV. Preacher, I didn't know you knew about that. Hey, I love, I love me some Andy Griffith, amen? And, uh, but notice here, that's, that, he's got more than enough. He, he say, but it's reached its limit. It's done. Here's the thing, this one. This word is forever settled in heaven. It hasn't changed since I've owned it. It hasn't changed since it's been written. And yet, I can't tell you how many times this week, I can't tell you how many times in my Christian life, I've read the same thing over and over and over and over again, and every time I've read it, I've seen something different. There's another aspect of the truth that God brings out of it, and I find out, yes, there was a lot of truth when I first got saved, and the truth that I understood that my sins were forgiven, I was saved by grace, and God had a plan for my life. I understood that truth, but I found out he's got a whole lot more. He's got a whole lot more this morning. It's not how it is with the, with the Lord. The more you study and search, the more you learn and know and realize that his truth never runs out. His truth never fails. Let me ask him, how much of his goodness and truth is enough for you? <laughs> I want it all. I want to be that big guy at the buffet. Give me a little bit of everything. I'm going to come back for more. Well, that's how I want to be in my crit. Lord, I want it all. Lord, I don't, I don't want to miss out on something that you have for me. I want all your goodness. I want all your truth. I want to see it and experience it. 
Who is God? He's merciful and gracious. He's long-suffering. He's abundant in goodness and truth. Now that you've heard that God described himself, what are you going to do with it? Well, you'll find yourself on either side of verse number 7. Keeping mercy for thousands. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. What does that mean? For he forgave it all. And that will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children. Upon the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. You see two things. You see mercy to thousands at the beginning. And then you see sin visiting from generation to generation at the end. Right in the middle it says he will not. What will he not do to the guilty? So he will not clear the guilty. God was trying to get it to Moses and said, listen, here's who I am. Here's what I'm about. If you choose that, if you accept that, you'll keep mercy to thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. He said, well, if you choose to reject it, God will not clear the guilty. The greatest thing that somebody will ever do, the worst thing somebody ever will do, will not pick up a bottle of beer, not be to smoke a joint, not be to practice fornication. None of those things are good, but the worst thing somebody could ever do is say, Lord, I know who you are, and I know what you did, but I don't want it. I don't want it. And here's the sad thing. That happens, it very well will pass down to the next generation, the next generation, the next generation. But how many of those are glad when you got saved by the grace of God, you found out God's going to let you impact the next generation? <laughs> you can go tell them about that merciful and that gracious God and the long-suffering God and how his goodness is great and his truth is everlasting. And thousands will find mercy. What are you going to do with God this morning? God described himself. Is that someone that you already know? You've already accepted that? Or is that something you're going to say, you know what? No, thank you. Well, I'd hate to find yourself in the second part of that verse this morning. When he wants you to be in the first part. How do you know that? Because he's gracious. He's merciful. He's long-suffering. He's abundant in goodness and truth this morning. And he wants you. Let's all stand this morning, every head bowed, every eye closed.